righty. Take your Bibles, if you would. Judges chapter 8. Tonight we finish off the story of Gideon. Uh, anyway, the last <coughs> this will be the last message on his his uh, character, the character study we've been doing on Gideon. So praying about where the Lord will have us go next, but uh, probably be another character study. I like these on Wednesday night because kind of dig deep into some of these men in the Old Testament, their lives. <coughs> this is uh, our 17th message on Gideon. And uh, so uh, hopefully it'll uh, kind of close up the chapter, although it's not a good one. Uh, the story of Gideon does not end well, unfortunately. Gideon's great work of delivering the Israelites from the Midianites really benefited the land. I mean, they were in great shape. It was, uh, if you look at the last uh, phrase of number t- uh, verse 28, uh, the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. Uh, they, uh, the word quietness there, that uh, means one who is not harassed, troubled, one who has no fear, no dread. And so there was great peace and security in the land of Israel. And the people could go about their lives without fear of enemy nations invading, plundering, and killing. Uh, but that quietness was misused. It was not used to build up their faith or strengthen their relationship with God. Now listen carefully here. It was... Uh, the, the freedom and security that they had were used to pamper the desires of their own flesh. Does that sound like any nations you might have ever heard of? America, for example, the freedom and security we've had have not led us closer to the Lord as a nation, has led us to pamper our own desires. And leisure may, was made uh, as an opportunity here for lusting in, in the Israel's life. Uh, prosperity promoted sinfulness instead of righteousness. And so we're going to look at this and how some of the things that went wrong and the choices that were made as a hope that will help us to make correct decisions. Judges 8, starting verse number 28. Thus when Midian well, was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so they lifted up their heads no more, and the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. And Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, this is Gideon. Remember, Gideon was called Jeroboam because he fought against Baal when he tore down the statues. The son of Joash went in and dwelt in his own house, and Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash's father, in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Belbereth their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God. How sad. Who, they, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness into the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Father, I pray you'd help us this evening as we look at this uh, idea of a relapse into previous sin. Help us to learn lessons from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Instead of spiritual growth, both Gideon and Israel wallowed in moral and spiritual decline. There was a relapse in Gideon's life and also in the Israelites. It's a sad ending to a great chapter uh, in, in uh, history, especially Israelite history here. Now, we saw the good, and we don't want to diminish the good of what Gideon did, but it is sad to see such an end. We saw some glorious performances for God, but then we have this relapse. 
Now, the Bible is so authentic in that it gives the truth about all the heroes in its pages, both the good and the bad. Now, I love biographies. I like autobiographies. But if you read a biography about anybody, typically you will have all the good and none of the bad, or very little of the bad. Or if there is bad, it'll be spun to uh, where it's not so bad. And so that's typically how we write. If we write a biography or an autobiography, we read that today. But the Bible is authentic in the truth about its heroes, both the good and the bad. Uh, The human author probably would have stopped the story of Gideon when Gideon turned down the offer to be Israel's king. Uh, That would have provided a great ending for Gideon's story, and because after that it all goes south, as we'll see. Uh, But it doesn't end there. The Bible does not ever whitewash the stories of any of the men or women within it. It records the bad as well as the good. And that's why we read the life of Moses. We see his weakness as well as his greatness. We, uh, the Bible records David's sins as well as his successes. It records Elijah's lap of faith, lapse of faith as well as it does his largeness of faith. Uh, it gives us the faults uh, as well as the faith of Peter and Paul. It records Gideon's vileness as well as his victory. And so God does this for our instruction. This is why we read, and this is why I love character studies, because we, uh, we go through these lives, and as we look at Gideon and you know, spent basically 17 lessons, which is 17 weeks plus, in just uh, several chapters here, we can pull so much out of it, and we can learn from it. We learn what Gideon did right, and we learn what Gideon did wrong. I don't know about you, but I like learning off of someone else's mistakes, don't you? It's a lot better than learning off my own. Uh, A lot of times uh, we're just bullheaded enough to where we have to learn off our own mistakes. But if I can learn off of Clarine's mistakes, I'll learn off of them all day, all right? So I don't have to make them myself. But God, so that's why God does this. Now, their virtues are described, so we might imitate them. Their vices are depicted, so we might avoid them. And so that's why we read Uh, and study the Bible and these men. Now, the recording of both the good and bad of all the people within the pages of the Bible reminds us that God is recording all about us as well. Every single one. Now, if you were to write your own autobiography, that's what it's called when you write your own story, uh, we would probably emphasize our good. We would minimize the bad if we bring it up at all. Uh, We would... Uh, or interpret it, favorably interpret it. We are, after all, our own, uh, our, our best uh, critics or, or, or ourselves. And so it would not be, it may be true, but it wouldn't be all the truth. Uh, but God only writes truth when he writes any story and he, will, and he records everyone. Not everything in your life. Not every, uh, I mean, there's every sin that we say, every word that we say, all those things are recorded and we will have to answer for it. So what can we do then? Well, the Bible tells us to confess our sins, forsake our sins, and he will clean, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, instead of trying to excuse our sins, it'll make all the difference. Now, once we confess our sins, they're gone as far as the east is from the west, never to be uh, talked about or brought up anymore. So confessing is so important and forsaking as well. Apart from this, we have no hope of escaping eternal condemnation when we stand before God because he knows every word we say, he knows all the sins that we commit, and he will judge accordingly. Look, I, I would hate to be in a situation in my life where I would not be 
a child of God and forgiven for my sins. Amen? And so thankfully we have that. Now in this final message on Gideon, I want to look at the conquerors relapse and the countries relapse because they are inseparably related here. The relapse of Gideon encouraged the people to do the same and uh, as he was their leader during this time. So let's just kind of break this down, see what we can learn from it in a few minutes we have together. Verse 29, he went and dwelt in his own house, Gideon did. He died at an old age, buried in the sepulcher of Joash. So after defeating the Midianites, he went back to his home and over there to live the rest of his life. He enjoyed longevity. He, had a, he died at a good old age, the Bible says. He had an honorable burial. Uh, he was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father. But he did not end his life on a noble note. Longevity and an honorable burial do not necessarily indicate a noble life. Now, when we go to funerals, uh, I don't know how, if you've been to many funerals, but it doesn't matter how rotten they are, everything's rosy on funeral day. I mean, everybody talks about that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't go into all their faults. I understand. But uh, we, just because you have an honorable burial... Uh, your eulogy does not determine your real life. And so uh, this does not mean that uh, it's giving the stamp of approval on Gideon's actions. Uh, many wicked men have lived many years and had elaborate funerals, and that does not make them good men. And so it was with Gideon here. Between verse 29, Gideon's return home, and verse 32, uh, his, where it records his longevity and honorable death, we see some unholy living by Gideon. Gideon had performed excellently when he fought against the Midianites. Gideon had faith. And I don't mean tonight's message as we kind of wrap up on a negative note in Gideon's life. I don't want to take from Gideon's positives, but we also have to remember that no matter who does what for God, they have feet of clay, and no matter how much we think we're uh, close to God or how good of a Christian life we live, we are all candidates for failure, every one of us. And so we need to be very careful that we don't ever get to the point that we think we're above falling or above failing. Now, look at what he did. He went back to living like the world. It's a disappointing relapse. He who had such highs now sinks so low. Uh, a few weeks ago I mentioned William Burroughs. Uh, he described Gideon's refusal of the crown as Gideon at his best. He describes these verses as Gideon at his worst, and I believe that is correct. Uh, we see two particular relapses here for Gideon. Uh, verse 30, And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body have begotten, for he had many wives. Now, 70 sons is not necessarily per se an evil in and of itself. You could adopt lots of sons if you had the money to do so. But having 70 sons the natural way would be impossible. Uh, if you would do it, if you have 70 sons, really the only way you can do it is, uh, well, if you're doing it morally in marriage, to have 70 sons, there's one of two situations. You're going to have more than one woman involved, or you're going to have one really tired wife, which, is, which would be an impossibility anyway. Uh, but to have 70 sons, you would have to practice polygamy, which is what Gideon did, because the Bible says he had many wives. Now, having multiple wives is morally degrading. We see it throughout the Old Testament. And uh, even some revered patriarchs had multiple wives, but never in the Bible does it uh, sanction having more than one wife. In fact, wherever it was practiced, you have nothing but misery in that home. Even in the 
patriarch's home. Uh, even in Abraham's home and Isaac's home or, or uh, Jacob's home, all these ones that had multiple wives, uh, they had lots and lots of trouble. Uh, God gave Adam one wife. That was the, uh, the, the model for all of us. Now, even though God, even if I should say, even if God did not specifically forbid it, which he did uh, multiple times, it would be foolish to practice such a thing just because of the misery that we see attached to it by anybody who attempts it. it there's no case in Scripture where a happy, harmonious home had more than one wife. It just didn't happen because that's not according to God's plan. So now it was intended to be like God started with Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, uh, but it didn't take long before man in his lustfulness began to multiply his wives. It was an unholy line of Cain in his line that that we first have this recorded. The Bible says in Genesis 4.19, Lamech, which is the fifth line from, in line from Cain, took unto him two wives. Uh, that's Genesis 4.19. So he, he uh, was the first to start that, and then, of course, many followed after him. Gideon not only violated God's principle in marriage, he also ignored the teaching of Scripture that specifically forbid Israel's leaders of having more than one wife. Scripture is plain, Deuteronomy 17, 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. This law was specifically written for Israel's future leaders and kings. Now, the common practice of the day was for a king or a leader to have as many wives as he could uh, so that he could have more sons. This would be a political expedient uh, for him to do because uh, it would secure power and uh, his dynasty would be enlarged and all that. Now, Gideon wasn't a king, but he was still Israel's leader. Specifically, he was their judge. So his position, he kind of went along with the worldly philosophy of his day to have many sons to strengthen his rule. Now, sadly, uh, he practiced what was common among the rulers of nations in those days, and it would appeal to the flesh. It would appeal to Gideon's sensual Uh, desires to have many wives. It would also appeal to his pride to have 70 sons. But the idea that this practice would strengthen his reign was uh, destroyed in the next chapter. We'll see that in a little bit. Uh, This kind of morality never strengthened a government or a family. It always weakened a family and the rule in that family. Look at David's life, where his own son tried to take the throne from him. His sons murdered one another. Uh, It was a mess. And so uh, this was also the case with Gideon. Now, you might be listening to all this and say, you know, I don't know why you keep hammering on this, Pastor. We're not going to have multiple wives. We've got that down. But the lesson we can take from this is that, that when we go against God's design in anything in our life, it's always disastrous. So we might be able to sit here and piously say, hey, I'm only going to marry one person. I've got that down. But in other areas in our life, we, we do this more than we might want to admit, go against God's design. How many times do we choose to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, going to church? How many times do we ignore the word of God? How many ne- times in our lives do we neglect prayer, gossip and slander others, steal from God in our tithes and offerings? We can point to Gideon as that's a bad thing to do, and it was correctly, But let's make sure, remember the lessons we can take from it. We've got to do things God's way. So the size of his family was a problem. Also the source of his family. Look at verse 31. 
<coughs> and his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Gideon did not limit himself to having children just from his many wives. He also had a concubine. Now, this is a morally degrading, woman-enslaving practice that was common in those days. But what made it even worse than the fact that there was a concubine is that she was a Canaanite from Shechem. Uh, Israel had no business flirting around with the Canaanite women, and Shechem was a warning to Israel. Remember what uh, happens when God's uh, people, we, we see all throughout history when God's people consort with the Canaanites, but specifically in Shechem, Jacob's daughter Dinah was morally uh, defiled by one of the men in Shechem. Shechem was a moral dunghill, and Gideon got way too close to it when he had a concubine there. The product of this depravity uh, was a son, and he's called Abimelech. And this, again, the fact that this should be a great benefit to have all these sons and, and you'll expand your line, that shot down in Judges 19. We're not going to get there tonight, but uh, this records how Abimelech, after Gideon's death, killed all but one of Gideon's 70 sons. So he killed 69 of his half-brothers. Uh, this chapter records how Abimelech did that to gain his power, slaughtered all but one of his other 70 sons. After he had reigned a few years, he was killed when a millstone was dropped on his head. That's a had to be a fun way to go. His whole rule was divisive, and he died the same way. Simply saying, it's a shameful thing for us to go against the design that God has for us. Let's just stay within the lines and uh, stay on the, uh, the right track, and it'll be a help. You cannot outrun your sin. Now, concubines were common in the Old Testament. Even the, even the patriarchs, again, some of them had concubines, but that does not sanction them in the slightest. Yet, how often we excuse people... In, even today, for wrongdoing when they do what is common in society. And we can all say, oh, concubine, that's terrible, uh, which was basically a sanctioned affair. And uh, yet, uh, because in our society, you know, most people, hopefully most people don't have concubines. And so in our society, that's not a common thing. We can easily look at that, uh, down our noses on that, we do the same thing in other areas because society sanctions things and society makes something the norm. Uh, we sometimes tend to accept it more. Uh, one great attitude today, even in many of our churches, is social drinking. The Bible is explicitly clear in, it, in its stance against alcohol. We're not to look at it. We're not to touch it. We're not to ingest it. We're not to have anything to do with it. And yet, many people in churches today even uh, have no problem with social drinking. Why? It's an accepted norm in our society. And so we accept it in our churches. Uh, take abortion. Just because it's accepted and legal does not make it right at all. Uh, just because our own state sanctioned marijuana just a week ago doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it good. All right? Just because society says something's okay... Hey, would you agree along with me, we have something greater than society to determine what's right and wrong in our life right here? And if you're going to go to society to find out how you want to live your life, you're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. We have the Word of God. If the Word of God condemns it, we also should abstain from it and not practice it. So you have the conqueror's relapse. And then we have the country's relapse. Uh, this was related to Gideon because it followed on the heels of Gideon's death. Look at what it says in verse 33. 
And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel uh, turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam. Now, there was a back-to-Baal movement in Israel right after Gideon died. Gideon had led Israel away from Baal in his leadership, and this spiritual reformation started when he tore down the altar of Baal that belonged to his father. This is what gave Gideon the name uh, Jeroboam, because it means he was a fighter against Baal, is what that word means. So we see a, a, an obvious lack of, of uh, genuineness in Israel's reform when they all left Baal and went to the Lord. They, were, they weren't genuine. It was a heart decision. They followed Gideon in it. And while Gideon was alive, they appeared to be following Jehovah. But as soon as Gideon was dead, their true heart was revealed. They were only held back from Baal worship by Gideon's leadership, not by a changed heart. So their faith was not a true one because their faith was not based on the word of God. Their faith was based on a man, essentially. Uh, when he died, their faith died. Now, I say that because, in fact, I'm, it was found interesting. I, I was, I'm working on two parallel messages here this week because I was preparing this and then I'm preparing the one for, uh, I'm doing a breakout session on Saturday for the pastor's conference on why uh, folks depart you know, today people go to Bible college, good, solid Baptist Bible colleges, and then they depart from the Baptist and drop Baptist off their name and, and why they go that route. So we're just kind of going, uh, talking about that uh, to the pastors. And, and it's, this is very uh, kind of similar here because uh, members, church members, and folks that appear to be, uh, you know, fundamental Baptist, Bible-believing, true Christians, and then you take away their spiritual hero or their favorite preacher and their faith disappears. Or their, one of their heroes, spiritual heroes, uh, f- has moral failure in his life and then they just, it just destroys him. And, and I've been there. I've had people I highly respect and listen to and even one that I had a, kind of a quasi-friendship with. We had him at our church every year and then had to horrible moral failures and sexual sins and things like that. And it's devastating to me. But my faith is not built on them. My, my, the, what guides my life is not what they are or what they say. Yes, it's sad and it's heartbreaking and it's devastating. But it should not affect the way that we live our life. But if you found your lifestyle, if you found your convictions, if you tie all those into a person then they will only be good as long as that person is a reality in your life, whether it's your pastor or whether it's your, somebody you respect or it's a parent or it's a spiritual mentor in your life. Uh, being founded on a personality rather than the Word of God makes a person uh, simply professing, not possessing. Now, the Israelites were professors, They followed God as long as Gideon was alive, but they weren't really possessing of it because as soon as Gideon's gone, they go right back to following Baal again. Uh, The result of being a professor, not a possessor, is vulnerable Christians who are easily led astray. If If a person passionately follows somebody who leads them and only follows the person instead of the word of God that that person is proclaiming, then they, as soon as that person passes off the scene, they can be led astray by someone else who passionately leads them. You see what I'm saying? So we have to base our beliefs in here. And this is why one reason why we attempt so carefully to craft all of our teaching and our preaching at Bible Baptist 
from the Word of God because this right here is what I want to lead you. I don't want to be the one leading you uh, only as, you, you know, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, but Christ is who we're ultimately following. The Word of God is our guide, and uh, that's something that's very important for us to understand. They can easily, people can be led astray by the man they follow. There can be a lot of deviating from the Word of God and from worship and from doctrine uh, by a leader, whether it be a pastor or a spiritual mentor or a parent or whatever it is. Uh, But people will follow him anyway if he, not the Word of God, is their guide. I just recently read the story of of Jim Jones. You remember Jim Jones back in the 70s, the People's Temple? He's the one... If you've ever heard the term drinking the Kool-Aid, he's, that's where it started because uh, th- that, I forget how many, I think it was 900 some people drank Kool-Aid and died, willing, or not willingly, but there, many of them were forced to do so. It was a mass suicide following this cult leader. But the interesting thing is that he, he was, in the beginning, in the beginning, Jim Jones, as a pastor, was probably, he was pastoring over a church that probably many of us could have went to and we'd have thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I mean, he preached, he was, uh, as far as I know, uh, you know, just from what I've seen, he preached the word of God, he was, uh, he was a very uh, charismatic speaker and uh, he did not start out crazy. Now, he went there, but he didn't start out that way. And yet, gradually, and the question that I have and what fascinates me so much is how does a man get that many people to follow him and actually lay down their life for some cockamamie belief that he had. And uh, how does he get there? Well, they are following a man, not the word of God. And so they all followed him to that ultimate end. And people will follow a person and not the word of God, uh, or if they choose to follow a person and not the word of God as their guide, it is no end to the craziness they can be led into. It's an amazing thing for me to see. And so that's why it's important that we keep the Word of God as our guide. Uh, This is why the Israelites in Gideon's time did not object to his ephod. Remember that? If they're really following God, they should have said, Whoa, Gideon, whoa, 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 why are you building an ephod? Why are you making this ephod for yourself? You're not a high priest. We talked about this last week. Uh, And this should have been a big warning, but they just followed him because they're following man, not following the Lord. They were following, uh, in 827, it says, all Israel went thither a-whoring after it, talking about the ephod, because they were following Gideon. Uh, if, if I, as a leader here at Bible Baptist, ever deviate from the word, all right, that's where I need to be held accountable. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, they most, now, uh, the, it's just interesting we have people leave our church just like every church has people leave their church. It just is a part of being a church. I wish it weren't so, but it's the way it is. It's, uh, it, it's, but it's extremely, extremely rare when somebody leaves our church that they come to me with a Bible verse. Very, very rare that somebody comes with a problem and they're coming with a Bible verse. In fact, they, the, statistically, it's under 5% of the reason people leave churches. Most of the time, it's a personality issue, or sometimes it's a sin issue in their heart, or whatever it is, uh, and, and it, it can't be worked out. But very rarely um, is it a Bible issue. However, there are times when pastors depart from that. In fact, I was, uh, the church I was saved in that, that happened. Uh, I was already gone in Bible college at that time, but, 
uh, the, a pastor departed from the word, the way, and the church, you know, eventually had to, it was not a, pro, a very good situation, but they had to have him leave, and a good pastor came and followed him, and the church is still going strong. But uh, if, if I, look, I'm just simply saying tonight, don't, don't follow me into error, amen? I don't want to, if I'm in error against the word of God, and, and by the way, we have very godly deacons, we have very godly men, and a godly assistant pastor that would, they would not hesitate to bring a two-by-four in and set me straight, amen, if they needed to, uh, by the word of God. Um, but I, I hope you know what I'm saying tonight. I'm not, uh, I don't think it's healthy to have a whole church of people trying to find something wrong. I'm not talking about that at all. Uh, but we also want to be led by this book. We don't want to be led by a man. It's just all there is. We want to be led by this book. And that's my desire. I hope that's very clear in the messages that we preach and the teaching that we do here at, the, at Bible Baptist is that we want the Word of God to be our lead. Our faith must be in the Word, not in a man, or it will not last the tests of life. It just won't, as we see with Israel. Gideon died, they all went back to Baal. All right, look at the ingratitude of Israel here. Verse 34, the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side, neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, this is the Gideon, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he has shown unto Israel. So first we see an ingratitude to God. Israel manifested their ingratitude to God by forgetting him. Think about this unthankful spirit, ungrateful spirit of these people. He had worked miraculously for them, delivering them from the Midianites. Now they totally forgot about it. Uh, they, they went back to Baal worship, even though it was Baal worship that brought the Midianite problem in the first place. And they went right back to it. Pigs go back to their slops. Uh, dogs go back to their vomit. And so we see the children of Israel doing this. Ingratitude makes us really stupid. Ungratefulness makes us stupid, makes us do dumb things. And so it did here. Israel's interest in God, now see if this, by the way, reminds you of any other nations too. Israel's interest in God was very self-serving. When they had a big problem, when they had a crisis, they cried unto God for help. When they were in trouble, they sought God. When they were in prosperity, they forgot God. W.F. Adney says, Selfishness inclines us to remember God only when we want his aid. Boy, does that not describe our country. You remember 9-11? Remember how in vogue prayer was after 9-11? I can't believe that's been 20 years. I mean, uh, it's, been a, uh, that, it's almost 20 years since we've had that happen. But anyway, uh, people, oh, the people prayed. I mean, there were people that, we had our, our, uh, our Congress all got up and sang, God bless America. I mean, there was a, God was in vogue for a very short time. Crisis is over, business as usual. By the way, if business as usual goes back after the crisis is over, then you know that God's not in that business in the first place. If we only go to him in a matter of crisis. It is a dangerous practice for any nation. The Bible says in Psalm thirty-three, twelve, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we could add the words all the time, amen, not just when we are in a crisis. They also had an ingratitude to Gideon. Israel proved their ingratitude for Gideon by failing to show kindness to his family. We have the problem in verse 34, which is ingratitude to God. You'll inevitably have the problem in verse 35, which is ingratitude to God's man. Ingratitude to God is joined 
to ingratitude to his servants. Nearly, uh, listen, all of Gideon's family was murdered and nobody stands and tries to stop it. They just stood by and let it happen. Gideon saved all those many thousands, tens of thousands of Israel's sons when he went against Midian. But nobody stopped, stepped in to save his sons after he's gone. Jotham was the only son who escaped. And this is what he said in Judges 9.17, For my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, and you are risen up against my father's house this day. That's a sad, sad description of Israel's behavior. Our conduct towards men reflects our conduct toward God. But what did Jesus say? The two greatest commandments are love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. These things are joined, all right? Uh, it, we're not going to have a proper relationship this way if we don't have a proper relationship this way. And we're not going to have a proper relationship this way if our relationship here is messed up. And so the better we treat God, the more we honor God, the better we'll treat our fellow man as well. Matthew Henry said, those who forget their God forget their friends. And that's a lot of truth in that statement. So our study with Gideon ends with an ungrateful Israel showing, kindness, showing no kindness to Gideon's family, even though Gideon had done so much for them. But this really is the history of man, considered the greatest deliverer that Israel ever had and we ever had, Jesus Christ himself. What did they do? They crucified him. And how many times do we also uh, forget everything that he has done for us? No one has done more for mankind than Jesus Christ. He went to the cross for us. Yet men fail to show their gratitude to him. How many times do we forget to show our gratitude toward him? That's why we do communion once a month. Just to remind us. Constant reminder. This is why it says, in remembrance of me. We need to remember these things. And so we need to constantly remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Let the story of Gideon be a lesson to us. And it, there's a lot of lessons in it, but kind of in the, the last one here, uh, we, we kind of focus on the fact that the, a man can have a zenith rise, do great things for God, and turn around and be an utter failure at the end of his life. I don't know about you, but I want to end strong, don't you? I don't want to fizzle out uh, after having served God part of my life and then fizzle out at the end. And so many, so many did that. Samson did that. Samson did some great things for God. And then he uh, died a, a shameful, shameful death. Gideon, not, not taking away from what Gideon did. What he did with his 300 men, it, it was, went down as one of Israel's greatest victories. Is mentioned throughout the book of Psalms and uh, remembered uh, throughout the Bible. But what a sad end. And it serves to remind every single one of us, it doesn't matter what great things we're doing for God now, we have to always be on guard. There is a devil. He does walk around seeking whom he may devour. He'd love to take you down. He'd love to make you ineffective. He'd love to discourage you. He'd love to mar anything you've ever done, which is what happens to Gideon here. I mean, what does this do for us? As we end on this note, as much as we say, hey, Gideon did a great thing, but then this just kind of ruins that, doesn't it? Let's not be found in the same steps as Gideon. Let's stay faithful. Father, we thank you.